From In the Beginning to the Musical Apocalypse, this is The Bible Says What? I'm your host, Mike Wiseman. Limited thinking. Why would God give us limited thinking? Does he not want us to understand him and his ways? Are we not good enough to learn why he has chosen to drown, starve, and slaughter children? Why would he make us this way? What is he afraid of? If I can use the thinking the Christian deity has given me to come to the conclusion that he is a monster, why would he not give me a little more understanding so I won't see his atrocities as the atrocities they are? Why would he limit my thinking so I could not understand his ways? 100% I want my kids to understand me. Holy crap waffles, what a world! It makes zero sense to do it the Yahweh way. Let's start the show. Is there anything in the Bible that you yourself have an issue with? <laughs> okay, so it took you reading the Bible to realize that those things were bad for you? Yeah, it actually did. I, I didn't figure this out on your own? No, Ted, Ted Bundy could be redeemed. God doesn't kill children. Does, what do you think the Passover was? Yahweh sets up a whole system in the Old Testament where you slaughter animals just so he's able to forgive you. Today's special guest is church consultant, author, speaker, and pastor, John Finkeldy. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, Michael, great to be uh, with you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking the time. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, these days I'm a church consultant, uh, pastored in our church for 30 years, and uh, 11, 12 years ago, started the ministry called Grow a Healthy Church. So I work with churches, um, well, around the globe, to be honest, uh, these days, what you can do online, but a fair bit of travel involved with the work, but it's basically coming alongside churches and helping them improve their health, uh, look at their organizational leadership, look at the things they're doing, and just see what they can improve, what they can do better, and also just bring a lot of encouragement to pastors' uh, pastors' lives. Uh, having done it for three decades, I know what it's like to sit in the hot seat, so coming alongside to help is my primary aim. Gotcha. Ah, that sounds fun. Um, so what, what made you start doing that? Yeah, I think... My wife and I, Diane, over all our years of ministry, pastoring our church, we've always had a deep passion for uh, seeing people thrive in their particular gifting, in their particular role, in their particular passion. That's always been at the heart, um, I think, of a lot of our pastoring. We would pretty well over the 20 years of leading our church, we planned a new church every three years. So we we found within ourselves a good capacity to raise up leaders and develop people. So I think that's always been a part of who we are, producing training resources. I remember as a, a youth pastor way, way back in the day, uh, producing training resources for our own leaders in a in a kind of uh, in a kind of clip fo folder and file and mm. back in the paper era. Um, <laughs> but I I've always had a passion to produce resources and help people do better. And I think out of that passion came a desire to go you know what, I think pastors need all the help they can get. So coaching and consulting with pastors is, yeah, it's been a fascinating ride the last 12 years doing this. Um, and it is a lot of fun. It is yeah. uh, less pressured than pastoring, but also you feel like you're making a solid difference. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, 
that's a lot of work. I bet. I'm sure you've uh, you've run into some some interesting characters along the way. Um, have you had yeah. any where you were just like, okay, you should not be a pastor? Have any of those? <laughs> Pretty well. Um, I've I've had a lot of pastors. The most common question pastors ask me is, "Am I the right person to take this church forward from where it is?" And hmm. my answer all the time is yes, unless the Lord is really saying to you, it's time to uh, move on. So, no, I've never met a pastor that I thought you should stop pastoring. I've met mm. plenty of pastors that I thought you should do it differently, mm. uh, look after yourself and your family better so you don't get burnt out or worn out. Uh, and I think there's ways you can live as a pastor and lead as a pastor that are more healthy. But, no, I've never met a guy and thought you should not be pastoring. I just generally think, you know, if there's anything that should shift, I, I think you could do pastoring better rather mm. than stop together. Um, gotcha. But you eventually have those conversations with people as well who go, you know what? I feel like I've I've um, I've done enough pastoring. I want to move on. Great. Mm. Let's help you do that well in a healthy way as well. Hmm. Well, we'll get back to that. I got an issue. Where do they go from there? I mean, where, I mean, once you've been a pastor, like what's your next role? I mean, can't yeah. really be yeah. I mean, handyman. I don't know. Attorney. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but what makes a good pastor? I, I, I'm very curious. What, what do you think makes a good pastor? I think a good pastor, I think bottom line for any pastor is, do you have a sense, a deep abiding sense of call? Um, has hmm. Jesus called you to do this work of pastoring, of shepherding the flock of God? And I, I think that's the bottom line. That's the foundation, I think, for any pastor. Because when you strip it all back, it, it, pastoring can be exhilarating and it can be brutal as well. Uh, the way people can handle you, even boards handle you, sometimes can be quite damaging. Oh, yeah. But other times, it's wonderful. You, you're there at significant moments in people's lives. You're able to uh, pastor churches into really good seasons of following mm. the Lord and discipling people. Mm. But I think a good pastor, bottom, bottom line is, Jesus called me to do this. Then I think a pastor who is a good pastor... Mm. One really learns how to work with people, how to love people, how to care for people, how mm. also to move people into places where they don't want to go. You know, sheep don't always want to go where the shepherd wants them to go. So I think you have to have good relational skills. Yeah. I think also you have to have a, a capacity to lead a group of people, not just one or two, but a group. And that group might be 30 or 40 people. It might be 300, might be 3,000. Mm. But you have to have a capacity to move that group into alignment around the purpose that God has called uh, your church specifically to fulfill. So I think there are a few of the things. I, I think being a good preacher helps. I think you need some communication skills. <laughs> you need to yeah. be able to uh, get across uh, a good message. And not every Sunday your preach is going to be a home run. You're not going to crush it all the time. But you, you want to have uh, more successes and failures <laughs> in the pulpit, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a few things there. Yeah. No, thank you. That was great. Um as far as just a random question here, when when you're pastoring and you're up there on the stage, and can mm. you feel when the audience is just not getting it? Is there ever oh, a moment yeah. like that? You know, you're just like, yeah. oh well, I got to switch this up a little bit and, and totally. spice it or something. You know, totally. I mean, <laughs> I mean, any pastor listening to this will tell you that they're ten minutes into a sermon, they know it's a dud. No, I ever haven't prepared well, or I've prepared <laughs> the wrong thing, or yeah. this crowd is asleep, or whatever. Um, whenever I'm in that scenario, I'm desperately looking for a story. Yeah, because whenever you start telling the story, people become alert. Mm. Maybe if they're nodding off, they awaken <laughs> to the fact, hey, a story's coming. This will be interesting. Right. Whatever it is, 
Yeah. So I, I I think you always want to sprinkle stories uh, through your sermon. The sermon without stories is definitely going to make people after 20, 30 minutes not off. So I think we've all had sermons that we've walked away from and said, well, that one's done and dusted. I'll leave it behind. No need to mm. review it. Just move on to the next Sunday, please. That Every pile over there. there. <laughs> yeah. I think even the best preachers have duds. Um, and that's okay. That's all right. That's part of life. You can't get away from that. But no. I think stories are the solution. And and often when I'm preparing a message, I will go through the message and highlight the section where there's a story. Um, uh, and if I finish a sermon and there's no highlights, I know I'm in trouble. So yeah. work on it again. More, John, put more stories in. Throw some in there. Uh, Bible yeah. story or personal story. They always awaken people. We love stories. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, people love stories. I mean, well, they that's, do. Yeah, and you can see it when you when you're communicating stories. with a crowd, it, and you kind of um, you can sense them slipping away. Hmm. It's amazing what you see when you're up front. Uh, you can also sense them leaning in. And mm -hmm. people lean in at story time or, yeah. or at a moment where they're hearing something that's really like, wow, that's very fresh. That's very mm. relevant, very real. Yeah. People lean in for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Relevance. Gotta, gotta yeah. Go with that flow. Keep them and keep them hooked on there. Some yeah, relevance. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is the Bible to you? There's a big question here. What is it to you? Wow. That's, uh, that's a great question. Bible to me is a life-changing book. Um, life-changing. Came, came to Jesus at 19, no church background at all, so no really awareness of the Bible, huh. um, other than a few ideas of some stories in it that I'd heard in uh, religious instruction at school. Huh. But um, getting into the Bible, and, and I find, Mike, whenever I'm, uh, I go on holidays and I'll have a week without much interaction with the Bible, when I come back into the scriptures, you know what I find? It is like having a cold drink on a hot summer's day. You just feel <laughs> this refreshing to your soul. You feel like interesting. Ah, you feel like you can breathe a bit easier. You feel you. I almost feel this sometimes because I'll go on holidays for a week or two, and my devotional life will be very sporadic. It'll be very on on the go. Hi, Lord, how you doing? I'm good, having a holiday here, and then back into the. <laughs> let's get back into the scriptures. Back into a real prayer life as it were. And I find like, I really feel like the first couple of days is like drinking that cold lemonade on a hot summer's day. You just feel fresh. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd say that the Bible has changed my life. I think also the Bible for me has given me wisdom that I would mm. not have had for my marriage, for raising children, for being a leader, for learning how to get on with people that I don't get on with. Yeah. Um, I think there's so much wisdom in the Bible that leaning into that wisdom on it's so relevant. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Wisdom and relevance. Relevance. Yes. Yeah. Now, I mean, I got to say, I, mean, I love the history of the scriptures too, to be honest with you. I'm a history buff. Yeah. I like listening to history podcasts. Um, so I love the history in the Bible and the way it kind of fits in together and the different stories that you kind of see um, mm. that not even like reading the book of Acts, the, the the background of the stories. I love delving into those things and finding out um, how old Paul was when he went through that experience. Where was he when he wrote that letter? Mm. Uh, what was the culture of that time? I find that as well, just um, yeah, really enjoyable to be honest. I'm a bit of a Yeah. Guy. Those kinds of things history. are always fun. Yeah. History. Yeah. Never know, man. Yeah. The, the history is full of interesting things and great totally. stories. Great totally. stories. Some of them are relevant. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> relevant true. stories i love it so as far as the wisdom let's let's well 
Hmm. I, I kind of want to go back to your 19. When you're 19, you said you, yeah. you found Jesus at 19. Yeah. Um, what happened? Tell me that story. I, I was living here in Perth on the west coast of Australia, um, grew up here, grew up in the city, beautiful part of the world. And um, about 16, 17, 18, I really went on a kind of hippie sort of search, mm-hmm. Buddhism, Hinduism, <laughs> meditation, trying to find you know, in the occult, all sorts of ways to try and find life. Because I knew mm-hmm. I didn't have peace. I knew I didn't have life. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I can't find God and peace anywhere in Perth. So I hitchhiked all the way across Australia to Melbourne, um, got on a plane, went to New Zealand. Um, within a week in New <laughs> Zealand, I met uh, a Christian <laughs> guy there kind of miraculously, to be honest. Um, Hmm. He invited me to church and uh, second meeting I went along to, um, gave my life to Christ. And and, and in that instant, uh, in that very instant, giving my life to Jesus, you know, the the pastor saw me. I was a hippie man, so I looked pretty, I didn't look right in a a kind of white middle-class church. I looked way Hmm. out of place, pretty radical. But um, (laughs) pastor led me to Jesus, led me in a prayer. And in that instant, it was to me, the miracle of forgiveness, where I felt forgiven, cleansed, ah. and that awesome sense, which I realized later is the peace of God, that sense of rest and peace deep within my soul that I've been probably striving for for about three or four years, I think, as a teenager. And just coming to Christ, um, yeah, transformative. transformative. Tell me about the forgiven part. You said you felt forgiven. Yeah, look, you know, funny thing was uh, about a week before that that coming to Christ, I'd gone into a music shop. This is a strange little story, but anyway, I went into a music shop and I was processing things about being a Christian. Should I become a Christian? Because I had mm. friends who had come to Christ. I kind of knew the gospel by then. I went into a guitar shop and I'm playing one of the guitars, just practicing, mucking around with it. Should I buy this? Whatever. And I broke a string. Twang! And I looked around the shop and couldn't see anyone. And I just quietly put the guitar back and, and skedaddled out of that shop, just ran out of the shop. And I felt so guilty about that. <laughs> I felt, man, you should have gone and apologize, pay for mm-hmm. the string, whatever. But I didn't. I just felt guilty. Isn't that funny? Just a little mm-hmm. thing like that I felt guilt about. Yeah. And I had other things that I need to feel guilty about as well. But I remember on that night being that sense of guilt that I had excuse me, over a stupid broken guitar string, instantly left, instantly, huh. just gone. Like, wow, who does who does that? Who gets rid of guilt? I mean, guilt's, um, guilt's a friend, really, because it kind of points you towards things that are wrong and kind of do you damage. And, yeah, so you didn't resolve the issue? You just, Jesus took away the guilt and yeah, that's it? Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I think, they, this is a long time ago, vaguely I remember because um, I stayed in New Zealand about a year, came home back to Australia. I think I wrote to the shop and threw some money in an envelope and sent it to them. Um, eventually got a conviction that you should do some level of restitution about it. Um, but I think that was a process of me growing as a disciple of Jesus. I think, mm. I think the Lord said, let's just deal with one thing at a time. Yeah, he's got enough baggage. We'll just, we'll just kind of alleviate the emotions he's got. Oh, man. Um, and, and, that, that feeling of feeling clean. Um, that's a miracle, Mike. I think that's, that's yeah, come with that clean slate. Yeah, yeah, it comes with uh, you know, I don't know, I, the whole confession thing is weird to me, but I mean, it depends yeah. on the situation, like your guitar string, uh, to yeah. make yourself feel better to go in there. What I for me to make myself feel better, I would have went in there and been like, okay, look, this is what happened, this is what I did. I mean, I got yep. you a new string, or what do you want me to do as far as that? Yeah. I just want to let you know, yeah. 
Um, so the forgiveness would come from the owner of the store afterwards, after apologizing, you know, I mean, or yeah. paying for it either way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So how, how does Jesus choose to forgive though? Yeah, I think, I think on the basis of his death, on the basis of the cross, the shedding of his blood. I mean, I mean, in reality, Jesus died before I even obviously had a clue before I was born. <laughs> Jesus died for me before I even knew anything about salvation or forgiveness or cleansing mm. or a walk with Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and died for me, shed mm. his blood so I could be forgiven. And I think on the basis of the death of Jesus, on the basis of the cross, I can, I can, at any time, I can look at the cross and say, one, God loves me very deeply. I mean, so deeply he's proven his love. It's not just words, it's action. And on the basis of that death, my sins can be forgiven. As John says, if we confess, <laughs> then our sins can be forgiven and we can be cleansed, which is a, it's a twofold thing, isn't it? Where God says, you know what? I forgive you for your sin. That is undoubtedly offensive to him. But even beyond that, I'm going to give you cleansing. I'm going to ensure that you feel forgiven, that you know you're forgiven. And I think, Mike, I definitely think it's beyond a, a mental assent. It's definitely a feeling of forgiveness. Hmm. And when you do something wrong in your marriage and, you you know, you're, you're angry with your wife or lose your temper and yeah, you yeah. apologize to her, you've said something you shouldn't have said and you apologize and she says, I forgive you. I've been married 45 years, so I've done this a few times over the years. I apologize <laughs> to my wife for saying something out of turn. And yeah. she says, I forgive you. And I always feel better. I just don't yeah. know. I feel better. And I think forgiveness and cleansing have that impact on our emotions as well as on our mindset. Interesting. So when, you're, when your wife forgives you, it's the same kind of feeling, that that release, that yeah. I, I'm forgiven, <clears throat> that, that knowledge of knowing that yeah. you've been forgiven. So yeah, I think, now, I think we're a whole being, aren't we? We're 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 a mixture of of mental ability. Huh. We're also a mixture of emotional uh, capacity, and I think I think the work of Christ in us uh, affects all of us. You know, it's not like I can take my mind out and put it over here, and then I'll take my emotions out and put them over there. We're all one yet. being. Not yet. Maybe no, next year. No. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to well, dive we... into that a little bit more, though. Um, the yeah. uh, Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This yeah. is how God has chosen to forgive people. Now, yeah. what if you asked for forgiveness from your wife Yeah. and she said, I will only forgive you if I kill my son? <laughs> and, and then she kills the kid and then... Now you're forgiven. Now you have that feeling of forgiveness. That's yeah. weird, right? Yeah, totally. Totally, totally weird. Added, but God does human God does the same thing. He, he won't forgive anybody without killing his kid, which, know. you know, his his own rule. So yeah. why is it okay for God to kill his kid for forgiveness, but not us? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the great mysteries of, of salvation, isn't it? That... that huh. We're not we're not allowed to go out and kill our kids. We certainly don't want to be going out and killing our kids. No, That's disclaimer: do not go out and kill your child for yeah, forgiveness. Yeah, love your children. All right, love your children. Don't give them hugs there might right be now. times when they're 13, 14, 15. You want to put your hands around their neck, give them a shake. Don't do that. You know, don't one through that. eighteen. You know. That's it. That's it. Just just keep loving. Keep loving. They do turn to home when they get into their twenties. They'll turn around. 
However, God, uh, from the very beginning, you know, right from uh, when Adam and Mrs. Adam, Adam and Eve uh, <laughs> sinned, disobeyed God. I call them the Adams family. Uh, that's amazing. Eve I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, there, you go. there you go. Adam, the humanity there. Oh, and da, 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 da. Uh, when God says, yeah. <laughs> and alive, I remember that show so that's well. That's good stuff. Uh, yeah, back back in that time, the Lord clothed them by by slaughtering an animal. They clothed with an animal's skin, and the right Weird. right at the very beginning, when there was sin, the yeah. only way to deal with sin, the covering of sin back there, was the shedding of blood right there of an innocent. Why did God make it that way, though? Why did God make it the only way that He's able to forgive you is by the shedding of blood? Yeah, that doesn't sound. Question, huh? loving or rational or logical to me like if we do it as as human beings that just doesn't make much sense so if we got it like your wife if she forgives you without you having or anybody yeah. having to die yeah you, that's amazing yeah but god can't yeah, do blood. that but god yeah can't no do god that. seems to have established a system of blood is shed for the forgiveness yeah. of sins right from the get-go right from right from the adams family in the beginning <laughs> there was no forgiveness no covering no no uh expulsion of sin hmm. without the shedding of blood and i guess i guess if you think some things are illogical i would hmm. say there are, there are a lot of things that i think about god hmm. that are irrational illogical hmm. that you can't put them together and go okay i can't quite hmm. figure that out but yeah. i think that's the limitations of our humanity as well that we have to accept and realize that all my knowledge that i have and if you and i put together our, our bible knowledge which i think would be quite significant we, we yeah. uh, pull together quite a good knowledge of the scripture and of walking with the lord and knowing jesus it's still minuscule isn't it compared to all the knowledge and wisdom and understanding that god has and so well, god is thank you for that but the irrational part i'd like to know more about that what do you find that's irrational oh miracles miracles are irrational yeah totally I mean, how so? You know, Tell me so. I love this. <laughs> you know, kind of like Moses stuck at the Red Sea, Pharaoh's, you know, right on his backside there, about to kind of kill him and slaughter a couple of million people. And God says, just just hold a stick over the water and um, you know, I'll send an east wind and suddenly the water's part and we'll go through and then I'll I'll crush Pharaoh's. I mean, that that's not normal. No, no. <laughs> That's not normal. You know, <laughs> Jesus uh, comes, you know, guy's daughter's dead, Jairus's daughter, and Jesus comes in and raises from the dead. That's abnormal. That's irrational. That's illogical. Um, and yet you do see, and I, I've, I've seen, you know, in my own life, I, I've seen people respond to miraculous prayer, prayer for healing, prayer for deliverance huh. from a situation and seeing God intervene. And then another situation where there's no intervention and it is illogical, yeah. irrational. It's a mystery. And I definitely think Mike, one of the, one of the aspects of maturing in our faith is living with the irrational, living huh. with the mystery and being able to say, you know what, God, I do not understand this, but I do trust you. I, I remember when our, uh, our son was born, the second child, uh, Luke, uh -huh. he was born two months premature and was in hospital, intensive care in hospital, uh, in the prenatal sort of ward. Um, and for a couple of weeks there, his life hung in the balance. I didn't know if he was going to live or die. And I remember couldn't sleep at night, so I'd be up pacing the lounge room praying. And I remember coming to a point where I said to the Lord, Lord, 
whether Luke lives or dies, and I want him to live, I want, I want my son to live. Yeah. But whether he lives or dies, I will trust you. And I will be okay with you. You'll still be good to me. I still see you as a good God. Huh. And I remember coming to that point, which again is slightly irrational, or probably fully irrational, illogical, that if my uh, son is not kept alive by the intervention of the Lord, by the intervention of medical help, then I'll still say, God, you're a good God, and I'll love you, and I'll serve you, and I'll follow you all my days. And thankfully, he did live. He's a huh. fine young man now, strapping young man. Uh, but, you know, I think I think there are, hmm. there are aspects of life where you have to live with the mystery and still trust the Lord, still trust his goodness, still trust his love, in spite of the fact that it's illogical and irrational. Uh, is <laughs> I don't do that. I don't. I don't. I don't follow the irrational and illogical. I don't trust in that. I'm sorry. I cannot get behind trusting in the irrational and the illogical. So <laughs> let's, let's. I'm going to throw out the flood. Um, do you find that to be irrational, like an irrational action from God? Um, in in what way? Um, well, I mean, first off, his reasoning. Uh, everybody was evil, so all the puppies, kittens, babies, all they all have to die now. Um, it just seems very irrational to drown the whole planet, knowing that when you created these people, they were going to do that and you were going to have to drown them. That all seems very irrational to me. How does that work? I I definitely think when, when God created the planet and God created people, he created us with our own capacity for choice. Um, Right. But within the capacity for choice, there are consequences. Any choice you and I make, anyone makes, there's a consequence to that choice. And I yeah. think, um, I think to me, the flood is quite rational in the sense that if huh. people choose evil, there's a consequence to that evil. Hmm. Can God separate and, evil from people? Can God separate evil from people? Yeah. yeah. What do you mean? Can he change hearts? Can he change minds? Yep, totally, totally. But so he didn't have to drown all the puppies, kittens, <clears throat> and babies. He could have it's not changed robotic. hearts and minds, right? No, it's it's not robotic, but no, no. But he sends in prophets to change hearts and minds all the time, and it yeah. works. And he knows yeah. what will work, what will what they say will work. You know, he knows everything. And again, he knew that he was going to have to drown them because they were going to be disobedient. He knew yeah. that. He knew because of their free will that he was going to give them that they were yep. going to make these choices. He wasn't yep. going to stop them. He wasn't going to move the yep. choices out of the way. He wasn't going to send them happy thoughts to make better choices. He <laughs> knew he was going to have to drown them. That there's, seems irrational to me. There's, there's plenty of I was reading in Jeremiah this morning um, where the Lord did send mm-hmm. prophets and people ignored them. Yeah. It said, not listening to that. No, go away. In fact, lock, lock, we're going to lock you up in jail. Well, Jeremiah, that's weird. Because what, what, we, what we're hearing from you, we don't like. Did God not know that, like that was going to happen? Sorry? Did God not know that was going to happen? So he yeah, sends totally. a prophet somewhere. He's yep. like, okay, these yep. are the words you're going to say. Yep. But I know these words aren't going to work and they're going to throw you in jail. They might work for some. They might work for others. Some God knows would have heard which ones they responded. work for and which ones they don't work for, though, right? Yeah. So, yeah. but again, you want, are you saying that we should be robotic and God should I'm saying people? God sent out prophets knowing they were going to fail. Yeah. That well, seems irrational as well. But I, I think that's life. Life. I think God God sends prophets out knowing that not everyone is going to listen and obey every single word, but it doesn't huh. mean some aren't going to obey and listen. 
and lean in and obey. <laughs> Let's go to the, uh, what is otherwise, it? otherwise you're going to otherwise you're going to reduce people to being robots where this is predestined everything is sorted out this is what you're going to do regardless you you're going to be locked into being evil you're going to be locked into being good um, right. you have no choice in the matter I, I don't I don't buy into that it's not that we don't have a choice it's just that God knows what those choices are going to be sure it's not like God's making robots he's already made yeah. somebody that's going to make choices that he knows what those choices are going to be right yep totally right just you, like you have children Michael Oh God! Yes, I do have children. <laughs> I have children now. I, yeah. I was part of the procreation process of bringing those children <laughs> into the world. Um, now they'll make choices that have consequences that I have no control over, and now, no idea if what I say doing. to them. Yeah, if you choose that, here's, yeah. here's I've been around longer in life than you kids. If you choose that, <laughs> I can tell you what's going. On. I remember sitting down with my son when he was a teenager and said, "Look." Mm -hmm. Um, hang with that crowd and this is what will happen in your life. Hang mm. with this crowd and this is what will happen. But uh, could I control everything that he did? No. Was he aware of the consequence? Yes. What did he choose? Well, he chose to hang out the right crowd. So that yeah. had a consequence of that. So I think there's a similarity between our parenting and God's parenting of us is that God oh. puts choices in front of us. Knowing that there are consequences with either choice, but not wanting to robotically control what we choose. God puts choices in front of us? Yeah, totally. Isn't that kind of interfering in free will? <laughs> I don't think so, because I think life is full of decisions that you and I make day to day, week right. to week, month to month, that we can choose a path to walk down that can be destructive, uh -huh. or we can choose a path to walk down that, that really is. It's not helpful or a path that is life-giving, a uh, path that makes you thrive. Yeah, yeah, I think definitely that's part of life. How is that free choice, though, if somebody's coming and stopping you and giving you choices in your life? That's interfering in your normal day-to-day. -day. God comes in and gives you a choice whether you're going to do a good or do bad. God knows exactly what you're going to do in the choice. So, I yeah. mean, we're, I don't really see that as free will. And then you're talking about healing and, and, and prayer. He interferes again. Yeah. And then he interferes in the flood. These people weren't allowed to live their lives. They weren't. They didn't have free will. They only had it to a point until he got so mad he had to drown them. Um, that's, that's why I don't mind living with mystery and the irrational, Michael. <laughs> I can't get behind the life, irrational, man. though, John. It's part of life. Yes, but I can't get behind the irrational. I can't worship the irrational. So why would God <laughs> give us unlimited uh, thinking? Why would God give us thinking to where I would go, the flood is irrational? Or these certain things mm. are bad. Yeah. Why would God give us thinking that way as opposed to not understanding why he would do these things? You'd have to ask him. Well, he doesn't you're answer a, me. John. You're, asking, it's really weird. you're asking me questions beyond It's like my, my kids. If they had an a, a question, they can a, ask me and I can answer it. But God, he doesn't answer my questions. He's not like no, not always. A, a, a real parent. <laughs> my kids ask questions that I can't answer sometimes. Yeah, but you can actually sell, say, I don't know. I don't have that answer. God has yeah, all the answers. Totally. And, and, totally. and you have a personal relationship with him. So he could give yeah. you these answers in theory. Yeah, in theory. Yeah. But whether I've got the capacity to understand all that, I mean, you know, my my understanding, my wisdom, my knowledge is limited. My ability to oh. understand and know is limited. But why would he um, limit you? Why why would he limit you? Because I'm not God. He is. <laughs> I don't want to. But be it's unlimited. just understanding. You don't have all these magical powers. It's just the understanding part. I don't. Why wouldn't he unlimited. make you understand? I don't want to be unlimited. Um, no, just understand to, why he does that. Imagine trying to cope with all the knowledge in the universe. 
I don't want all the knowledge in the universe. I just want to know why he does certain things like drowning puppies. Uh, <laughs> you know, certain things well, like that that we find in the Bible me, are just irrational. Me, I, I, I accept the fact there are aspects of life that I do not understand. Hmm. I embrace that. I think that's that's embrace the that. I don't knows. I, I yeah, of course I don't know, but I'm not going to believe in the I don't know. I think that's the difference here. Yeah, that's a little bit of the difference. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't. I'm, I'm happy with that. That doesn't want it. That doesn't keep me awake at night, thinking <laughs> God does things that I don't understand. Um, I'm not going to lie in bed awake at night trying to figure that out because there are things in life I don't understand. There are things about God that I don't understand. There are things in life that are mysterious to me that, um, huh. yeah, would be nice to work out. And maybe one day in eternity, I will, maybe I won't. It doesn't really, yeah. doesn't bother me. Hmm. Interesting. Well, thank you for that. Um, you did mention in the beginning that the Bible gives you wisdom and, yeah. um, life-changing book. It's refreshing. Uh, you open it up and you look at it, uh, what specifically are you talking about? Because I mean, I've read the book. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there that I don't find wise yep. Uh, yep. or refreshing, <laughs> yeah. for that matter. So, what, what specifically are you pointing to? I think, uh, I guess, really pragmatically, mm-hmm. in terms of raising children, um, raising children. Some, yeah, totally. John, it tells you to beat your kid with a with a rod. <laughs> I don't think that's it tells you to stone disobedient children. I don't think it's a very good parenting book, John. <laughs> Maybe we should have disagree that. on that, Mike. <laughs> never discipline your children, obviously. I don't throw <laughs> rocks at them and I don't beat them with a metal rod, John. These are these are extremes that the Bible tells us to do with kids. So uh, I mean, there, there's a difference there. There's a hundred percent. So what, what specifically are you tar- talking about as far as far as the parenting? Yeah, I think I think to really nurture your children. Bible talks about nurturing your children, not frustrating your children. Okay, uh, loving your children. Bible is very specific on that. I don't need the Bible Absolutely. to tell me I have to love my children. Or I should love my children. I don't need the Bible to tell me that. How old? <laughs> your, your children have never been teenagers. God, <laughs> no, not right now. Well, I think they are, but they're not right now. No, uh, ten. Ten's my oldest. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so your teenage years, you know, with children, uh, teenagers can be quite frustrating. I, I understand. Children are frustrating at any age, as far as I'm concerned. They've got their well, own little twerks and quirks and teenagers. Hiccups and... Teenagers a whole nother level, Mark. <laughs> I'm so excited. I can't level, wait. <laughs> That's great. So That's how great. is the Bible going to help us with but, our teenagers? Yeah, absolutely. By by learn, by not frustrating them. But there's a which really verse, good instruction. Which verse is that one? In Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 that. says not to frustrate your kids. Yeah, yeah, to nurture them, not frustrate nurture them. them. Okay, I don't need the Bible to tell me to nurture my kids either. Is there anything we can get <laughs> in this Bible that we can't get anywhere else? Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> oh, you want me to explain? <laughs> yeah, what that? is it? <laughs> I'm just what is it that we can get? You ask me, is there anything? Yeah, yeah is there anything absolutely. outside or uh, yeah, outside of the Bible that we can't get? In? No, what was the question? Damn it! <laughs> is there anything inside the Bible that you can't get outside? There it is. There it is. Is there anything in there that you can't get from an outside source? Like loving absolutely. your kids, nurturing your kids. We obviously know that one. Is there anything to, in there unique to actually bring helpful? your children to Jesus? To explain the scriptures to your children, um, I don't think you're going to find that in any other manifesto around the planet. Definitely not. They're going to keep you away from that kind of thing. That's uh, we're going to we're going to encourage our children not have them. Um, uh, oof. That's an interesting one. Yeah. See, how do you feel about the Quran? 
Um, haven't read it. Ah, well, I'm not 100% sure, but I pretty much guarantee you in there it tells you how to take care of your kids. I wouldn't know. Me neither. So let's not go there. So anyways, back to the back to the Bible part of it. I don't, I don't like talking about things I don't understand. So um, besides that, Jesus part. And well, what will that do? That's a good question there. What will that do? If we bring the kids to Jesus, hmm. what will that do? Will that make our kids better, more um, respectful? I, th- I think a, a life of faith gives you a sense of, hey, um, there's really something more to life than living, breathing, dying. I think people to have a faith in Christ is brings a sense of assurance about purpose, why we're created. Um, I think for me, um, yeah, I think that's really important. I think growing up as a person without faith, as a child, as a teenager, um, left me in times of deep confusion. There wasn't a, a sense of what what is the purpose of life? What's the point of living? Where is the greater purpose in my life? And I think... I think for a child to have that awareness that there is a God who loves them, who cares for them. Um, yeah, I think that really adds to a child's life. Absolutely. So what happened to me is I grew up in the church. Um, I had all that. Jesus loves yep. me, blah, 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 blah. Yep. And what it what, what it actually caused was uh, a crisis in my teenage years of, you know, what is this? Is this real? Am I really scared of hell? Is Jesus really going to send me there if I do something bad? Did I blaspheme the Holy Ghost? Holy cow. You know, what have I done? And then it just eventually mm. faded and uh, I researched and the Bible made me the way I am today, actually just reading it uh, mm. face value for what it is. History, yeah. historical, contextual, all that fun stuff. So I I can't follow along with that whole bringing the kids to Jesus part. I don't I don't okay, think that's, that's a good fine. idea to me. Um, Jesus well, tells tells us in the Bible that he's going to come back and with his angel army and throw the non-believers and the evil people into hell. Well, I'm a non-believer and I'm evil to him. I've I've cursed the the Holy Spirit. I've I've said bad things about God. So that's where I'm headed. I don't see that as a good thing to teach kids. I think that causes more stress and trauma than it should. I was very stressed out about going to hell. I was very near. Mm-hmm. I lost sleep. I was, oh man, it was terrible. It was a, it was a, it was a rough time trying to get past all that. And I think the fear of hell was probably one of the last things I lost. So as far as hell, since we're like rambled off into hell, what are your thoughts on hell? (laughs) Hell's a real place. Hell's a real place. Who created hell? God. God created hell for what purpose? For the devil. Just the devil? That's the only reason he created it? That's the primary purpose. And then people who don't believe, um, obviously don't want to go. To be yeah. with the Lord, so so he throws them in hell. Okay, so God knew when he when he built it that he was going to have to throw non-believers yep. in there eventually. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So it was built for non-believers and Satan. Yes, built for the devil and also unbelievers. Yep. Yes. Sure. Okay. So, do you think that that's a good idea to burn people for eternity for non-belief, or would it be better if I don't want to spend my eternity serving God? God sends me off on my own little planet somewhere away from him where I don't burn forever. Like, what do you think would be more rational and loving? I, look, I, I I think the thought of burning forever is a wrong picture of what hell is. Okay. I think hell is just separation from God for eternity. What is that like? Well, it's not pleasant. I wouldn't think it would be great. I think it's, I'm separated uh, from God now. I, there's There's no man in my heart. 
he, he doesn't send yeah. his ghost to just, me or anything. Yeah, just and I'm still fine. Enjoying... I, I still enjoy my life. I have purpose and meaning. Good. You know, yeah, good. And good. I don't have that that particular part. So yeah. if that's all that hell is, I'm living it now. Yeah, no, you aren't, Michael. No, this is not hell. This, this is, is not hell. This, this is, is not this is the best God could do. Right now, this is not this heaven. Is... This is not hell. This is the earth. Um, uh -huh. It's mixture of beauty and brokenness that we live in now, and we'll go into eternity one day. We'll breathe our last. We'll go into eternity, and uh, we'll go to an eternal place. So, can you describe the absence of God? Is it like a dark yeah, room? I think, is it? What I is think it? it'll be an absence of peace, of joy, um, be an absence of things that we feel. Uh, benefited by in this world I, I i think the idea of you know a place of torture or torment and that some some of the images of that i think are really outdated i think they're people's huh. impressions of that i don't think they're you know literal uh, so if i'm in these feelings of 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 i don't know agony or whatever they're the loss and and and, and mm. that's kind of suffering isn't it I I don't think it's a pleasant place. I don't right. You know, I so it's not happy. Very, it's not a good place. God uh, wants me to be unhappy for eternity if I don't love I, Him. Well, I I think eventually you're going to be annihilated. So I think you're going to pass on completely. So much love and patience there, <laughs> John. Would you do that to your kids? Oh man, I, I know you've I, wanted I to think, a few times, but I, I think it's interesting. People, people want to people want to escape consequences from their decisions today. Uh huh. They don't want consequences for what uh -huh. they decide, uh -huh. and so deciding irrational on, consequences are the worst. Well, they're irrational to you. Yes, yes, they are, yeah. and that's fine. They're not yeah. irrational to me. That's to me, so life to me. is life. So you is, would do uh, that to your kid. That's something you would do. It's not irrational. <laughs> that's something you would punish your kid with. I, I I know that my kids have consequences for all their decisions. Mike. Right. And would you make that Good one of the bad. consequences? Would you do that? Well, I'm I'm not God, so I, don't I know you're not God. Those sort of things. You um, don't drown so children. I, I, in I think it's a false. I think it's a false argument. I think you're putting up a straw man that doesn't work, because I'm not God. I'm not. I know you're not God, but would you do such a thing? of making that choice of making that decision? So I think it's you know. No, <laughs> that's okay. You don't have to answer. John, thank you. That was fun. Uh, one last question, though, and I, and I do kind of want to end it here a little bit. Um, I, I am curious, though, would you slaughter the innocent to forgive the guilty? Would you, John, choose to slaughter the innocent to forgive the guilty? Um, I don't understand the question. Who, who is innocent here that I'm killing? It doesn't matter. An innocent life. What would you <laughs> find to be innocent? Um, if I was God and I had to give my son for the life of another, yes, I would. Now we're going to play God. Just 10 seconds ago, you didn't want to answer as God, but you're not God. You're not God, but now you're God. Yes, I did. I did. John, you're so confusing. I love this. <laughs> right, Michael. Glad you're so loving it. You, I'm, I'm glad you wouldn't do that. Um, sacrifice the innocent. You wouldn't drown puppies, right? You would. You'd be more patient than that. My dad drowned kittens back in the day. John, that's terrible, John. <laughs> that's terrible. All right, John. Well, different day, man. Yo, All right, go ahead and let's uh we'll close it out of here. Do you have any last words? 
Uh, plug your stuff. Of uh, good to chat, Michael. Good to Anything meet like you. And um, yeah, keep working on uh, living with mystery. <laughs> I do enjoy some mystery. Um, but yes, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Enjoy the Outback. Holy cow. Yeah, I am a little jealous. Agree. <laughs> I said cliche. <laughs> well, I get okay, American. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. All right, John. Take care, yeah. man. Thank you so much. We'll uh, we'll uh, keep in touch. That's the words. That's all the show there is for you today. Thanks for listening. As always, you can find me at The Bible Says What YouTube and Facebook pages. You can also find clips of the show on TikTok under BSW The Podcast. If you like what you heard and want to help keep the recording light on, simply go to patreon.com forward slash BSW The Podcast and sign up to be a supporter of the show. Your episodic tithes of a dollar or more will get you early access to each episode by at least three days, stickers, shirts, and shoutouts. That's patreon.com forward slash BSW The Podcast. For the latest events, BSW swag, including signed copies of The Bible Says What the Book, head on over to the show's ever-evolving webpage at thebiblesayswhat.com. And no matter which platform you use to listen to your podcasts, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss out on the next episode. Until then, would you kindly pick up your Bibles and read them?